want to look today at Naboth's Vineyard, a uh, well-known passage of Scripture, maybe most of you, but if not, we will, let's read the first uh, 16 verses, let's stand as we read, and just get ourselves familiar with uh, what was going on here with King Ahab and Naboth. <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab the king of Samaria. And uh, Jezreel was a uh, another town. It was probably a summer residence. And so this, we're not talking about Samaria, the capital, but Jezreel, which would be like a secondary place where Ahab lived. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went to his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and wouldn't eat no food. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? <clears throat> and he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. He said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said to him, Do you not now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with the seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and let Naboth at, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and sent two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then <clears throat> take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, proclaimed a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent Jezebel saying, sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. And as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had stoned, was stoned and dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, and he doesn't ask why or how it happened. He rose and went down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite and take, to take possession of it. Maybe seated. <clears throat> so uh, a very uh, a story that could be retold countless times since the beginning of mankind, where the strong oppress the rich, where uh, the uh, government oppresses the. Uh, citizens and so forth and so on. It happens all the time. It continues to happen. But what we want to take notice of the day is that the Lord sees it. Nobody's getting by with it. And uh, so that is certainly, I think, one of the things we want to see today.
Um, just, just by a way of, remember last week by way of review though, God has graciously uh, shown Ahab that he is the only true God who is everywhere in control of all things. Remember in his fight against Ben-Hadad, that uh, whether it was in the plains or in the mountains, the Lord gave Ahab the victory. And of course what we're seeing here is three, in these last three chapters are three instances where Ahab reveals his heart. Ahab has not kept covenant. And because of that, it, the northern tribes are destined to be carried away because Ahab, as king under the Davidic covenant, he has become the federal head of the nation. So as the king goes, so goes the nation. And so we're seeing three instances in which Ahab shows himself. And so last week, we saw his compromise with God's enemies. Um, and uh, Ahab refused to kill him. And uh, did not treat him as an enemy. Uh, today we'll see Ahab ignoring the inheritance of others, ignoring the law, the covenant that God had made with them. And then next week when he dies, uh, he won't listen to God. He'll listen to the false prophets. And, of course, that will lead to his death. And so just three, you know, it's all about Ahab's sin, these last three chapters. Uh, we saw Ben-Hadad bragging about where he, what he could do apart from God's will. Uh, he thought he could win the battle if he was in a certain spot. That didn't work out too well for him. Ahab doesn't take the Lord's enemy seriously, and both are judged for it. And so we, we kind of made the point that theology matters. What we understand from the word determines how we understand the world around us and how to live, how to succeed uh, before the Lord and so forth. Our theology matters. And so Ben-Hadad was not so much Ahab's prisoner, but the Lord's prison, because the Lord had given him uh, the victory over him, and Ahab really didn't have to do anything. Um, and uh, yet he doesn't take it seriously. He, he, he's compromising with sin. He's compromising with the Lord's enemies. And that will, will never do good. I was reading about, uh, there was a, uh, some, a bunch of Confederate prisoners were taken uh, prisoner in 19, 1862, and as they took away their weapons, that they wanted their knives, and the Confederate uh, soldiers said, well, let us keep our knives. They're, that's personal items. Well, some of the knives are like 18 inches long. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. Because, you know, you, 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 what do you think is going to happen? And, and, and they, uh, Ahab's playing around with the Lord's enemies. And that's what happens when we play around with sin. We, we've got to take it seriously. We talked about mortification of the flesh um, at that time as well. And so, um, just some things that we looked at last week. So, uh, as we see here in chapter 21 with Naboth's vineyard, we're in the second of the three accounts of Ahab's sinfulness. And this one is especially unsavory. Uh, It it also reveals the part his wife plays in it, uh, just a total lack of regard for life or innocent life or, you know, and taking advantage of people. And uh, the desire for Naboth's vineyard is wrong for two reasons. Uh, not so much his desire for it, but his uh, inability to accept that he wasn't going to get it. But first of all, uh, he doesn't need it. Uh, let me have it uh, so I can grow and have a vegetable garden that's close by. It's right by my house, so it's convenient for me. And so the problem is this is Naboth's inheritance. The, the inheritance was to be taken very seriously, as we'll see here in a moment. So you see just a total... All Ahab cared about, and his wife too, was themselves. It didn't matter 
that this had been a family for generations uh, or anything like that, uh, that it was a source of income, no doubt, for Nabath. Uh, it was, uh, well, I, I just want a place to put my vegetables and grow my vegetables. But but the matter of, um, it wasn't just the envy, which, of course, is the opposite of love, and then I want something, I don't care if it hurts you or not, but the land inheritance meant buying and selling land. It had to be done. It, it was not wrong to offer to buy any land, a Naboth's land. But it had to have a lot of forethought because every 50 years, according to the law, it was to go back to the um, person who originally inherited it. And, uh, and, and, of course, Ahab doesn't care anything about God's law to start with, so it's no wonder that he really doesn't care about that. But Naboth clearly does. He, he understood the importance of this. It was an inheritance. Uh, just uh, one verse, we can, uh, one passage here. It says, And if you make a sale to your neighbor, this is in Leviticus 25, or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of the years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. If the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of crops that he is selling to you. In other words, every 50th year, it had to go back. Now, if 30 years had passed, and you're only... You were buying, wanting to buy the land. You were only going to get 20 years of crops out of it. So the seller had to take that in mind and say, okay, here's t- I'll, my asking price is for what you're going to get for 20 years, not for 50 years, because 30 years have already passed. That's kind of what's being said here. The idea was to be fair about this. And the land shall not be sold in perpetuity or forever, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow redemption of the land. So as we've said before, the inheritance was very important. We'll talk about it here in just a moment. One one more verse I wanted us to look at it in Numbers 36. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another. For every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribes of his fathers. And so another thing was that you it was to stay in the tribe. And I'm not sure that with Ahab, who remember was, uh, I don't, he would, this was uh, many miles from Samaria. Uh, it's very possible that uh, it wasn't, he wasn't in the tribe of Naboth anyway, which would have made the whole thing to be, in a sense, illegal. And so, the, the text seems to point out the, that Ahab's request didn't have any of this in mind, any of the laws in mind. Um, and everything we've seen about Ahab would make us assume that Ahab has no regard for God's law, uh, or, or, or you know, or any of these things to start with. And certainly Naboth then is clearly within his rights in regard to this. And then of course we have the whole powerful taking advantage of the weak scenario. As the Bible makes it very clear that the Lord has no use for anybody who would uh, oppress the weak and the uh, defenseless and so forth. But the land, but the reason for these uh, laws was that the the land represents the fruit of God's redemption for Israel. It was kind of the final reward for the Jews under the old covenant. That was the end of the old covenant that they would inherit the land. Now uh, there were other things involved. Of course, we know that all all this was leading up to Christ. But it, but I would just say this: 
the New Testament makes it very clear that the Old Covenant has, is obsolete and has passed away, you know, like in Hebrews 8. And so if that's the case, then the land is no longer the inheritance. In other words, it's no longer valid. So I think those who say that Israel is waiting to inherit Palestine, first of all, they've already inherited, they've already had it. But it, God no longer owes it to them because the, uh, co- they broke covenant. The covenant has been rescinded anyway. And it's really been fulfilled in Christ. So we're looking for a better land. Even Abraham realized that, that Cain wasn't really the final inheritance. It represents the final inheritance. One reason it was to never leave a family's possession was because it's a type of the our inheritance, true inheritance, which is eternal life, right? Um, that's the result of the new covenant. And so I think the reason why this was so important was because it represents our eternal uh, life in Christ. God has promised to never lose any of his sheep. We've been placed in Christ. We've been coveted, uh, or excuse me, we've been converted. Uh, once converted, we can never be parted from Christ. No one can take our inheritance. And so with Israel, they were allowed, because of economic reasons, to sell land, but it was only to be a very temporary thing. Every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, it reverted back. And so a true saint cannot lose his salvation. And so in the, under, in the Jewish law, the Jew could not really lose his inheritance. Now, eventually, uh, many did, most did probably, because there was, you know, you're talking about, you know, by the time the, these nations were carried off into captivity, you know, there was very little regard for the laws of God. Uh, and it hadn't been for, uh, no doubt, generations by many. So it happened, but it was not supposed to. And, of course, you know, Israel forfeited all the blessings that God gave them under the Old Covenant anyway with their, their idolatry. And so I think that's that's the reason why all this matters to some degree and why we read about this. But in verse 4, like all selfish, sinful hearts, Ahab sulks because he doesn't get his way. You know, it's bad enough when you see this in children, but, you know, when adults do this, it, it, it's not, not only is it unseemly and a lesson for us to be careful about sulking, but as Christians, sulking like Ahab did, where I want something, really something that had no regard to anything but pleasing his flesh, and I don't get it, so I'm just going to sulk and be in a bad mood. It shows total selfishness. It shows no regard for the Lord and so forth. And, uh, you know, for a Christian, it's a sure sign of discontentment. It's, it's, a, it's a remaining sinful passion that we should really be bothered when we see it in ourselves. We can't be content. And, and I know, you know, we all want things, have desires. Many times they are not fulfilled. And all that. That's part of life to some degree. For a, but for a Christian who has the blessed hope, it's, we know that it's all temporal anyway. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get, you know, this car that I wanted and the job I want, you know, whatever. You know, you know just be mature. Be, not so much mature. Be spiritual about it. It might be a slight, a little disappointing, but all things are ours in Christ, right? So Ahab was a king who had more than anyone else and certainly had no reason to feel like he was was shorted by not having this land. And so we need to find some application here because 
If we are in Christ's kingdom, we have been made kings and priests, the Bible says. We reign with Christ now. All things are ours. All things that we need to serve him are ours. Obviously, I don't have, own everything on, on earth. But I don't, all things are mine that I need. And I know that in the eternal state, I, all things will be ours. We, we will enjoy everything, right, without any influence of sin. So there's never a reason or a time in which we should feel like we've been shorted, even when we don't have some of the material, physical blessings that others might have, because we all have Christ. And we need to remember that in times of trial, that those trials are given to us to overcome and to conquer for the Lord, uh, not to mope and stress. You know, and that's, uh, we all know that's the, that's our default reaction to mope and, or to stress, to either be unhappy and discontented or to be so stressed that we can't function properly. And that's just a sign of our remaining sin and our, and shows we have work to do in our love for Christ. <clears throat> and so, Enter Jezebel in verses 5 through 16 where she concocts a plan to get her husband the vineyard uh, through murder and through a lying and through breaking the uh, thou shalt not bear false witness, obviously. What a picture of Satan. <clears throat> and one reason it's a good picture of Satan is because if Ahab had control of his passions and regard for the laws of God and for others and, and so forth, Jezebel wouldn't have had anything to work with. But she knows that he wants that bad enough that he will be okay with whatever she does, which he proves that very clearly here later on. So this is a prime example of a worldly heart. If I can take advantage of someone weaker than me, then I'm going to. Climbing the corporate ladder to success, whatever it takes for me to succeed, no matter who I have to step on. And then notice she plays directly to his pride and manhood. You aren't you the king of Israel? You know what's wrong with you? You know I'll, don't worry, I'll take care of it. But this is the Phoenician worldview that her father taught her. You know uh, this is uh, do what you, give what you want, no matter who you have to hurt. But Christians have a new father, and he's taught us differently. And he's taught us that the kingdom of God is about serving and helping, <clears throat> and Worried about the honor of Christ, not yourself. And, and I was thinking about that. I, I, hopefully my children are taking their cues from their Heavenly Father. Uh, and whatever I taught them, that they are, uh, that they judge that by the, their Heavenly Father, right? You know, that's part of good parenting, hopefully, is to teach your children that I will not always train you properly or set a good example, but here is the one who can. And may they see that. <clears throat> well, for living godly in Christ Jesus, the attitude uh, that will guard our lives is is God first, not not myself first. And this will often bring us into conflict with those whose attitude is me first. But something, something will have to give, and of course that's what's going to happen with Naboth. He's trying to do the right thing, and uh, that brings him into conflict with those who hate him or hate that idea. Now, verse 10 is kind of interesting here because it says that Naboth cursed God and the king, and that's repeated in verse 13. 
And in the Hebrew, it literally says that Naboth blessed God and the king. And so the uh, commentators are left trying to decide how th- what this means. You see with our translation here that they are translating it according to what they believe the idea is. But uh, when, when, because of that, uh, some say, well, because it says blessed God, it's really kind of like blessed God. King and, and what, why? How, why would you stone somebody for blessing nothing in the king, right? And so they say it, it. It means that she is telling them to lie about what. What she's telling them to lie about is that Naboth took an oath before the, king, the God and the king to sell this, and he has reneged. Which is probably the idea here that that all this was done in God's name, and uh, he's reneging. Some say that, well, it means that he blessed God, uh, and so that the idea was that, that when you uh, give a, a blessing is when you're leaving, and so he blessed God and by he's rejecting God. And I, they make a case for that. I, I don't find it to be particularly strong, but anyway, those are some of the things that I, I studied. But um, it's, I think, it is, like I say, that first one makes the most sense that he has made a promise before God, and he has... Uh, broken his vow, as it were, and so they stoned him for that. And again, you see, technically under the law, that would have been a proper thing to do, but uh, the law has been not regarded at all through any of this to start with. And of course, you know, our society tells us to to do exactly what Ahab and Jezebel are doing here, to live only for self, let fun and pleasure, money uh, dictate your life. It even has the audacity to tell us to uh, let us raise your children, and uh, we know best. And uh, it, that brings us into conflict as Christians. Naboth says, no, I will serve the Lord, and he will pay the price. And, and remember also that those city officials uh, were saving their own skin. Jezebel told them to do that, and had they re- rejected that, they probably put their own life at risk. But... Uh, you see how God sees all this. It doesn't matter if your life is at risk. You have to do the right thing. That's what Christians must do. We, we obey the Lord. It doesn't matter what danger it puts us in. And so they will not find any sympathy, I don't believe, before the judge when they died and they stood before Christ. They can't say, well, Jezebel is going to kill us because the, uh, God is going to throw them into eternal hell. So which is worse? The legality of all of this doesn't make it right or an excuse for anybody. It's something we have to remember when the government says something that is contrary to God's word. It's just, it just has no bearing to a Christian. We cannot obey. And that's, we see that example, of course, with the disciples. We must obey God, man, God rather than man. <clears throat> and another thing such accounts teach us is something for those who don't know uh, the Bible will keep failing to understand, and that is that God is still in control even when evil people sometimes are allowed to run things for a while. In other words, it's not unusual when something like this happens to say, well, where is God? Uh, you know, what's he doing? Uh, you know, is, is he dead? Is he unconcerned for Naboth? And of course, the, the, the Bible tells us that the answer is is always that he's still on the throne, Doing his will. And as Christians, 
with, with this account and with all the rest of the Bible, we can look at the injustice in the world and say, well, God is still on the throne and not to be, uh, not to let that ruin our faith or to, to distract us in any way. That's not a proof that there is no God, which is how a lot of people use it because somebody, uh, something, someone supposedly innocent person has died or something. Well, uh, how could God, how could God allow this? Well, here's an example where God has allowed it. And so we've got to be careful of thinking that we know justice better than God. And we know right and wrong better than God. <clears throat> the New Testament tells us not to be surprised when we are mistreated by the world and suffer fiery trials. I mean, read First Peter chapter 4. And it's hard for us as, as American Christians sometimes to remember uh, when, we have, when we have the TV preachers telling us that if we have enough faith, all things will be ours right now. Especially if we, if we have, if we send them a nice big check, why everything will go well for us. <clears throat> but that's not what the Bible says. It isn't pessimism or realism to understand that the most effective way for a Christian to serve the Lord, to glorify Him, is through trials, not prosperity. <clears throat> and in verse 17, this, we see this revealed here where it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tiphite. Tishbite saying, Arise, go now to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession of it. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, You have killed and also taken possession. And you will say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lift up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lift up your own blood. So, we find out the Lord isn't uh, distracted. He's been there all right. Now he's now it's time to take vengeance. <clears throat> um, numbers 20, 32, 23. But if you will not do so, this was when uh, the three tribes on the other side of Jordan had promised to fight with Israel until all the land was taken. Then they could go back and enjoy their, their on the other side of Jordan, right? Their inheritance. And he says, but if you don't do this, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Right? That's a very well-known verse. It's a verse that parents tell their children. And it's a good verse to tell them that. You don't get away with anything because God doesn't miss things. Notice here that when he finds Ahab in the the, uh, vineyard, uh, Ahab says there in verse 20, have you found me, oh my enemy? I, I think he was standing in the vineyard, and here comes Elijah, and, Eli- and, and Ahab realizes, you know, he he, he knows what's what's happening, <clears throat> and yet he calls Ahab an enemy for telling him the, the word of God. <clears throat> He's faithful to tell him what what God has told him, and in reality, Elijah. And anyone who will tell you the truth is uh, the best friend you have. But I may probably use the uh, story before of a guy that's in my first church who left his wife and his three boys, married somebody else, younger woman. And, uh, you know, I, I, I confronted him. This is that before I got there, but um, he was still coming to church there. And so, you know, that kind of gets under my skin after a while because he's sitting there, you know, coming to church. His other family, wife and kids had left, but he's coming to church with his girlfriend. 
So I went to his house one day and told him, you know, this is this is not right, and, and you get an answer to this. You, you need to repent of it. You need to do the right thing. You need to get rid, you drop her, and go back to your family, and so forth, and so on. And I, and I said, you know, you need to be thankful that I've come here to tell you this, because you know I'm the best friend you've got right now, because I'm the only one who's telling you. Although I think his, you know, his parents were telling him that too. But this is wrong. I don't imagine he appreciated it. He didn't continue to come to church. Or I'm not overly surprised. <clears throat> but, um, you know, i got to answer to the Lord for that. i got to say what's true. And it's just interesting here that Ahab says, this is the second time he's called Elijah's enemy for telling him God's word. It's so sad. <clears throat> Maybe some of you, although, you know, it's a small church, and I, and I don't, I think in this case I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm sure there's many churches where it's true, where there's people sitting in that church who really kind of sees their pastor as the enemy. They wouldn't say that, but they don't like, they, they, the pastor keeps ruining their fun because he keeps telling them things that brings conviction upon their hearts, and they don't like it. And perhaps they end up leaving. I've certainly had my share of people to, to leave the church because they don't want to hear what I got to say. Now, you know, to be fair, other people have left for other reasons. That's the only, the only reason people have left the churches that I preach on. But I've certainly had my share of those. They don't want to hear the truth. But if I'm faithfully relating what God has said, then uh, I'm the best friend you have, or just as good a friend as any. I'm certainly a better friend than if you've got a, a spouse or a parents or, or someone, friends telling you not to listen to what God has to say. Tempting you to do wrong. <clears throat> Notice what Paul says here to Galatians. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So you see a stark example of that here with Ahab and Elijah. So that's kind of what happens here. He comes and he tells Elijah that uh, Ahab, that uh, you're going to die because of this. He goes on to say uh, in verse 20, um, 21, Behold, I have I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up. I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. I will make your sons, your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Israel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. So, a very unpleasant word of prophecy to Ahab. So, verse 25, now, this this is in, in parentheses, these two verses here, 25 and 26, author's notes, I guess. There was none who showed himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel's wife incited, which we, we made this point again. This Ahab's the one who who sends to the point where the, the God says there's no the point of no return, right? He, he's broken covenant to the point that the whole na- nation is to be carried off. So this is repeated again. Verse 26, he acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, when the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And so now we're back to the account. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. Now he's upset 
not because he doesn't have Naboth's vineyard, but we find out that um, you can't have your cake and eat it too in this case. He's got it, but he realizes he's not going to get away with it. And so now he's unhappy, as we would expect. But of course, the problem is that Ahab is only, as circumstances go, so goes his uh, disposition. He's sad because he doesn't get it. He gets it, and now he's glad. But now he finds out there's going to be uh, judged. He's going to be judged because of it, and so he's sad again. <clears throat> and so, what does he do? Uh, verse twenty-eight. Uh, he goes about. He, he, he in a century, he goes to repentance. That's what sackcloth and, and so forth would be would indicate. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, and I will bring I will bring disaster upon his house. So he's still going to die, as the Lord said, but he's, he's not going to have to watch his sons uh, and, and his whole family be uh, wiped out, which is going to happen very soon afterwards. <clears throat> Uh, the Lord saved him from that. I was reading one commentator who said that uh, what an example of the grace of God that Ahab is a, a believer. And I no, I don't think so. That's not what happened at all. <clears throat> um, he's uh, the Lord does. Well, let me. I got two points to make here in closing. I don't want to get ahead of myself. That'll be number two. Uh, first of all, it's clear that Ahab didn't, uh, that's the first way. Ahab didn't repent unto salvation. I think most likely his punishment was uh, so severe that he was sorry. I think that's all that's going on here. Um, so why does the Lord defer some of this? Because he humbles himself. In other words, the Lord, I don't think he's being saved, but the Lord reacts to his, his repentance, even though it is somewhat selfish and really is not, I don't think, in any way, a uh, good or God honoring, and I think the point is not to get caught up in whether his repentance was real or not. But what is re- what we're reminded of here is that God is always ready and eager to forgive those who humble themselves. Even Ahab, God was was just to show any kind of remorse. God reacts to. He doesn't delight in judgment, even though he will and must judge sinners. He gracious, he's, he's graciousness to receive sinners in, uh, that's the point, I believe, and, and especially since Ahab is considered to be one of the worst sinners in the scripture, we see the Lord, uh, showing mercy to him to some degree. <clears throat> Ahab's judgment is postponed, but not canceled. And he's given, really, he's given more time to repent, and what we're going to see in the next chapter is that he's going to Nothing has changed. You know, just to see this as, as his salvation, when the next chapter, he's rejecting God, the, the Yahweh's prophets or the prophets of Baal, just shows that he hasn't re- repented of salvation. <clears throat> Secondly, though, in closing, we need to remember that it isn't always God's will to save people from the most unjust and cruel experiences. So this kind of goes back to what we were saying before. Where is God in all this? And how sometimes we kind of forget to think biblically. And uh, we, we first we see that even though Naboth has been stoned to death and forgotten by men, the Lord 
is has seen it, and the Lord is making sure that those responsible don't get away with it. So we're reminded here that while bad things happen, the Lord is, is watching all this. And it's necessary for us to remember when it looks like wrong done to us that we must be on the right side of history and that the Lord will take care of us. I was reading the story of a, a young woman, 17-year-old girl named Clementine, who lived in Rwanda, who during a social unstrike, some <coughs> thugs or whatever they were, broke into the town. A lot of people went to the a church for protection. They broke in and basically just wiped everybody out. She saw her family killed right before her. They dragged her off into the bush and tortured her and raped her and kind of left her for dead. They, they beat her and, and everything. Left her for dead. Someone finds her, brings her to the local hospital. Uh, they treat her the best they can, but they're really unable to do much for her. Uh, but while she's there, that someone gives her the gospel and she gets saved. And somebody uh, is able to take her, I believe, to, to England, where she is able to get proper care, but they find out that in, the soldiers gave her uh, HIV uh, and when they raped her, and so she, by that time she had full-blown AIDS, and this was back when they what much they could do about it, and it was a death sentence. So she dies. So the Lord saves this girl uh, through an awful experience, and he doesn't withhold it. And we got to stop and think about that. It was not the Lord's will to save her from all that horror, but he in it was going to save her uh, unto himself. And so God will take care of the Ahabs in the world, but in the end of the day, Naboth still lies a bloody broken heap. That girl died, but we know, because that no, that was uh, several decades ago, I um, her, those who are responsible for that, they're receiving their reward. <clears throat> so the point is whether we will submit to God as God or will we waste time thinking how that, well, I would have done things better. That's a skeptic. That's, you know, God preserved Moses in the ark, but he didn't preserve, preserve all the little, little boys uh, born back then. Jesus uh, escaped Herod, but not all the, the babies in Bethlehem did, right? So that's the reality of the world we live in and the way God governs and allows sin to have its day for a while, but only in, would it ple- in a way that pleases him. But let me just close with this, though. Remember, we have a sympathetic Naboth in Jesus Christ. He also was falsely accused in a kangaroo court, right? And was brutally killed. So he sympathizes with it. I mean, he, he's promised to give us the grace and strength in the day, in the hour where he might call us to suffer. He's, he's not gone anywhere. He's still there. And best yet that he will make it more than worth the cruelest injustices. Now, I think if we could talk to Naboth right now, there'd be no complaints. He has been able to enjoy the presence of God for, I don't know how he sees time, but we know it's been, what, uh, three to four thousand years or so that he's been able to enjoy that, almost three thousand years of our time. 
Uh, he's got no complaints. How, how can anybody complain about being able to um, s- spend eternity with the Lord? And so it's just a reminder that we, we read these things and we don't get uh, sidetracked from them. We re- read to the end and we see God making sure that everything is taken care of, that justice is done. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. All right, any questions? Thank you for uh, your love to us this day. And we ask, Lord, now that you would give us a good second service, that you would open up our hearts to uh, appreciate your word and, and the things that you have written down for us. We pray for uh, Jess' family as they uh, head off to the airport, that you might just be with them this day and give them safety, Lord, and all that they be doing over the next uh, week or so. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.